Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure, Donna, no problem. So generally speaking, insomnia is thought of as people having persistent difficulty with sleep initiation, so falling asleep, duration meaning the length of sleep and the quality of their sleep. Insomnia can be caused by a variety of underlying factors, and this is important to address, especially in our elderly population. For purposes of diagnosis, we think about two components, the first one being sleep difficulties that occur despite adequate opportunities for normal sleep, and daytime impairment that directly results from poor sleep quality or duration. There is chronic insomnia, which is defined as having symptoms that occur at least three times per week for at least three months. Short-term, which is the same as chronic, but less than three months, and other insomnia, which is where patients have symptoms and may require treatment, but do not quite meet the short-term insomnia definition. So we think of insomnia as patients having trouble falling asleep. This is considered sleep onset insomnia, or are patients having trouble staying asleep, knowing as sleep maintenance insomnia. There can also be a combination of both, referred to as mixed insomnia, and this is common in chronic insomnia, where patients go back and forth between the two symptoms. So like you mentioned, we're here today to talk about the elderly population, so I'm going to focus on them to address that part of your question. So in the United States, we know that chronic insomnia affects more than half of the elderly population, and generally they are affected by sleep maintenance insomnia, so trouble staying asleep after they initially have fallen asleep. As I said before, there can be many underlying causes, for instance, environmental, like we see in the hospital, patients are out of their comfort zones, they might have a roommate, might be louder than they're used to, physiological and psychological factors that can all play a role. Some examples include drinking caffeine close to bedtime, health conditions that might be causing pain to these patients, medications like diuretics that can increase the need for trips to the bathroom at night, and then, of course, mental health. So depression, anxiety, and stress are definitely something to be aware of across all populations, but I think it's especially important in our elderly population. I say this because insomnia can be an indicator of poor mental health. Addressing insomnia in our elderly patients is so important because it can have negative effects on them, So some things that we think about when we're thinking of negative effects are increased risk of accidents, chronic fatigue, decreased memory and concentration, as well as there have been reports in the literature of an increased risk of falls, cognitive decline, and risk of mortality, all things we as healthcare professionals really want to prevent in this patient population. So like I said, it can be caused by a variety of underlying conditions, and this is why it's so important in our elderly to mitigate insomnia prior to starting medications like you had mentioned. This means really evaluating what is causing this to happen. 
Is it something as simple as are they sleeping too much during the day? Or is it much more serious? Are we missing an undiagnosed depression? As always with the elderly, we should be addressing that underlying cause first before starting any pharmacological therapy. And I think a lot of times having a conversation with the patient and implementing a personalized plan to incorporate better sleep habits to their routine produces good outcomes. I think I really could go on and on about underlying causes of insomnia in elderly patients because the list is extensive of what I've seen in practice, but I'm sure it's similar to most of my colleagues out there. Sure, no problem. Z drugs are considered our non-benzodiazepine hypnotics and include Zolpidem, Zaliplon, Zolpiclone, and Ezolpiclone. All are currently available in the United States except the Zolpiclone. They produce their sedative hypnotic effect by selectively binding to GABA-A receptors. And though not exactly the same, their mechanism is still similar to benzodiazepines. Initially, for the elderly patients, it was perceived as okay for short-term use, meaning less than 90 days. However, based on the efficacy and safety data, it's now recommended to avoid them altogether. Basically, if we look at the data closely, the risk outweighs the benefit in our elderly patient population. Z-drugs are considered to only have a minimal benefit for elderly with sleep latency and duration, but have a significant increased risk of delirium falls and fractures. They're also noted to increase risk of emergency room visits, hospitalizations, which I have seen in practice, and an increase in motor vehicle crashes. I think we're all aware, and some may have even personally seen, the box warning of complex sleep behaviors with Z-drugs, especially Zolpidem. So when I say that term, I'm referring to the sleepwalking, sleep driving, engaging in activities when patients aren't fully awake, and there have been reports of injuries or deaths with this. And so these are definitely important cautions and counseling points that I think should be discussed with our patients. Sure. So my PGY1 resident at the time, Rebecca Reynas, and I decided to write an article focused on the literature that is out there really surrounding Z-drugs and focusing primarily on falls. We performed a literature search through multiple databases, and we included articles that had a primary outcome of falls, as well as patients had to have an exposure to at least one of the Z-drugs. 
We found eight trials, three in non-elderly and five in elderly, and one meta-analysis that met our criteria to be included in this review. There are mixed results in non-elderly patients. However, majority of the data in both populations, so elderly and non-elderly, found an association of an increased risk of falls with exposure, exposure to a Z drug. Zolpidem was the most commonly used in the literature, but this isn't really surprising because it is the cheapest of the three available here in the U.S. I also should note that no studies really mention dosing of medications, which is a limitation of this review. For elderly patients specifically, some key points that the article found was as patients age, so um, we're talking over the age of 85, the fall risk increased with their age as well as the highest fall risk was in patients who were in an inpatient setting. So inpatient being hospitalized patients or nursing home residents. I also think most notably in one study that we reviewed, the only medication class in the study that had a significant increased risk of serious falls was the regular use of a non-benzodiazepine hypnotic. Despite this risk, 91% of nursing home residents who were on a non-benzodiazepine hypnotic at baseline remained on the medication after six months, regardless of the fall status, meaning even if they had a serious fall and they were on one of these medications, they were still continued. I think this is so shocking as a healthcare provider and why I found it so important to address this issue. I feel like sometimes even the obvious information needs to be revisited to benefit our patients. Yeah, so it's interesting you bring that question up. So based on my article, I did find that Zolpidem may be a safer, and I'm using air quotes even though you can't see me, safer option in non-elderly patients. Um, but there's still a risk for those complex sleep behavior side effects like the sleepwalking, the sleep driving that can result in serious injuries. So with that, I would still advise caution with their use even in our younger patients. When focusing on the elderly currently in practice, we really try to avoid the Z drugs in this population altogether. I think, again, it's important to emphasize that addressing that underlying cause, as well as initiating non-pharmacological -pharm therapies first, is the most beneficial for our elderly patients. If then you go on and every option is exhausted, you determine that pharmacological therapy is warranted as adjunctive treatment, possibly utilizing melatonin or trazodone may be helpful. I also say that with caution because the data isn't great. However, as patients age, they may produce less natural melatonin due to biological changes. 
in this case, melatonin may work. It's pretty well tolerated too. Trazodone is sometimes used in low doses, but let me say that that's off-label. To aid in insomnia, we're really utilizing those sedating side effects to our benefit. However, it does pose some risk for falls and fractures. Similar to trazodone and using the sedating effects to our benefit, low-dose mirtazapine can also be an option in our elderly patients, especially if they may be experiencing a decrease in appetite. Low-dose doxepin and romelteon can also be considered. However, these are more expensive options, and because I'm inpatient setting, I don't really see them commonly used. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Great question. I cannot say that I have a true black and white answer for you as I do feel this really depends on the patient and or the prescriber, whoever we're addressing. I've seen a mix of responses in my practice. However, I do feel that prescribers are open to the recommendations as they are aware of the risk. In my institution, I worked a few years ago with some of the administrators to produce a letter to the physicians about utilizing melatonin first, specifically in treatment-naive hospitalized elderly patients experiencing insomnia, and it was well-received by the medical staff. Typically, patients who have been on a Z-drug for an extended time frame are the most hesitant to stopping them. However, it's not impossible. Part of my job is counseling these patients, and it's always worth a try, I think, personally, to have a discussion with them about possibly reducing and eventually stopping the sleep aid based on the risks associated with them. Once you have that conversation about the side effects and address their specific concerns, sometimes they're open to trialing stopping the sleep aid. Sure. I think it's so important even to recognize patients that are on these medications. And like I said, it's always worth that conversation to have with the patient um, if they're coming on, in on it. If they are treatment naive, it's also worth trialing other medications, especially in our elderly population. You know, a lot of times, and I also have my students counsel with me, having that conversation with patients and addressing 
their, you know, environmental issues that may be contributing to, um, to their insomnia really makes a difference with these patients. You know, sometimes my students, they'll say, they'll come back from counseling and say, oh, the patient was sleeping. And my response is always, wake them up. They shouldn't be sleeping during the day. Let's, you know, have a conversation with them because that's what happens sometimes. These patients, they sleep during the day and then they're not sleeping well at night or they like to have their cup of coffee at night before they go to bed, you know, recommending, why don't you try a warm cup of milk before bed instead of that cup of coffee? And these things can really help patients. So really focusing on the elderly population as new students and residents go into practice because we are seeing, you know, the baby boomers hit over 65 now. Um, So they're going to run into it and focusing on what medications they're on and can we make a difference in these patients? Are there medications that are causing some side effects that may be contributing to their insomnia? Can we change them or can we provide them recommendations that can help with their sleep habits. Right, exactly. Right. Right. And thank you so much for having me. It's been great.